This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and good evening. Well, it's a night of two lengthy shows, so I'll limit my remarks to just say it was 1949, and Escape Theater was a popular program for those looking for a scary night at home. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape. Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are standing in a lonely canyon in the shadows of Superstition Mountain. While facing you, tempers ragged, guns drawn, are three men who at your first move toward hidden treasure will kill you. Today, with Paul Dubov, starred as Pascal, we escape to the Arizona desert and a lost treasure of a million dollars, as Ralph Bates told it in his most unusual story, When the Man Comes, Follow Him. I was wrong. I know that now. But what good's it do? How could you tell dead men that it's all your fault and you're sorry? No matter what you tell them, they're still dead. So what's the use? It never would have happened if we hadn't got mixed up in this superstition business. We was going along fine. All the other boys in Frisco respected us. Stayed out of our territory, at least most of the time. That was on account of the boss, Mr. Heinemann. He was too smart for them, and they knew it. Smart, and a great guy along with it. Of course, some people might call him an ordinary racketeer. But he wasn't like that. Nobody could have treated me no better. And he was cultured, too. Loved music. Played a violin almost as good as this fellow, uh, Heifetz, or whatever his name is. Why, one time he sent me clear to New York to pick up a Stradivarius he'd heard about. And I had to hang around the dealer's store for two weeks before I got a chance to lift it. He wouldn't have trusted a job like that to any of the rest of the boys. He trusted me more than any of them. Me, Pascal. That's how come I feel so bad about what's happened. Because he trusted me. And he had to trust somebody, you understand. Because for 15 years, the boss had been stone blind. Come on, Pascal. Eyes, man. Give me eyes. But it's foggy down there, boss. I can't see the bay at all, just the end of the bridge. And out toward a Golden Gate, there's nothing but just fog. I guess it's going to rain. What about the street below us, Pascal? What's going on down there? Nothing. Just streetcars and taxis going up and down and a few people. Not very many. I tell you, boss, there's nothing doing at all. It's a very dull day. All right, forget it. You can come away from the window. Why don't you play the violin a while? No, not today. I'm too restless. Something is going to happen, I think. Happen? What's going to happen? I don't know. Something. Are any of the boys here? Brian and Daly in the next apartment playing gin rummy. You want I should call them? No. 
I wonder if you know what it's like, Pascal, to live always in pitch darkness, depending on somebody else to tell you what's going on around you. Ah, forget it, boss. You got me. I'm the eyes, you're the brain. We're doing all right. Maybe, only sometimes I wonder... I'll get it, boss, I'll get it. Mr. Heinemann's apartment. Who? Well, I'm not sure whether Mr. Heinemann... Who is it? Oh, I see. All right, thanks. That was the manager. Your brother's here from Phoenix. Mark? He's downstairs? Yeah. He's on his way up. The manager couldn't stop him. He says he looks like he's in pretty bad shape. Ever see a desert rat that didn't? No. Well, so I'm to be honored by a visit from my sanctimonious brother. I wonder what he wants. Oh, money as usual, three or four hundred dollars to finance another six months of prospecting, and he'll repay it by telling me what an evil man I am. I wouldn't give it to him, boss. Why not? As long as it keeps him over there on the Arizona desert, or most of the year, I can stand one or two visits from him. You can hear the elevator stopping. Better open the door. I still say you ought to crack down on him. Open the door. Uh, hello, Mark. Help. Come in. Me. Boss, he's heard of something. Me. What is it? Eyes. Pascal. Quick. Hasn't shaved for four or five days. He's weak, Help trembling. Me. Holding on to the door frame with his right hand, holding his chest with the other hand. I think he's been shot, boss. Yes. Shot. Come here. Help Get me. Inside, Take Pascal. it easy. Take it easy. Yeah, here, come help you. Come on. Uh, Over on the couch. Okay. Uh, come on. Here we are, boss. Not easy now. Uh, there. What happened, Mark? I had to get here. I want you to have it. So he can't. He's out of his head. Get Brian and Daly over here. Brian knows a lot about gunshot wounds. All right, boss. What happened, Mark? Who shot you? Shot. Connect me with 907. Had to get here. Come on. Hello, Brian. All the glitters. All the fools. Oh, fools. Treasures of kings and princes. Dying. Mark, you've got to get hold of yourself. Dying. Had to get here. You get it instead of him. Watch out for him. Oh, Mark. Map. Old map and new map. He doesn't even make sense. Look. Look. Eyes, Pascal, what's he doing? He's raised up a little. He's pointing with his finger at the carpet about four feet away. When do you get there? Watch for it. When the man comes, follow him. Understand? Sure, Mark. When the man comes, follow him. Yes. When the man comes, follow him. What's he mean? I don't know. Follow him. What's up, boss? Pascal said you wanted me. Come in, Brian. This is my brother. He's been shot. See what you can do for him. Yeah. Let's have a look. Got to think. Got to think. What could he possibly have stumbled into? Yeah, this happened a couple of days ago, at least. Should have had a doctor right away. He wanted to get here for some reason, but why? It's Daly, boss. Oh, it's coming off in here. You're not cooking up something and leaving little Daly out of it. Ain't I in this, Mom? Stop your barking, Daly, before I throw you a can of Strongheart. Don't get so smart now, Pascal. I got as much right to talk around here as you have. I said shut up. Uh, the boss's brother is here. He's been shot. He's in bad shape. Yeah, you're not kidding, Pascal. Matter of fact, he's about in as bad shape as he'll ever be. Boss, he's dead. That was the start of the thing. When a doc came, he said Mark should have died 24 hours earlier. Said he stayed alive long enough to get to Frisco on sheer nerve, nothing else. Mr. Heinemann, he don't say much. He let the doctor take charge of everything. There was a wallet and some other stuff in Mark's pockets. Mr. Heinemann, he took it with him and went into his own room and stayed there. After a while, the other boys drifted back to their rummy game and... 
Finally, about 10 o'clock, I went to bed. At 2 in the morning, I woke up to find Heinemann shaking my arm. Pascal, can huh? you hear me? Pascal, uh, uh, come on, come on, wake up. Uh, uh, okay, boss. Uh, I'm awake. What's the matter? I've been thinking. I've got some ideas I'd like to talk about. All right, I'm listening. It's about Mark, the things he said. They begin to make sense. Well, maybe to you, but not to me. Look, is this what I think it is? Oh, wait a minute, boss. Let me give it some light. Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a map of a mountain range, I think. There's a lot of wavy lines like they use for valleys and ridges. There's some faded writing on it. Brown ink. I think it's pretty old. Sixty or seventy years at least, uh. judging by the feel of the paper. Go on, Pascal. Describe it to me. Well, what it looks like a road runs across the bottom along the base of the mountains. And there's a spot on it marked Red Hill. And there's a wavy line starts there and runs about uh, halfway up the map. It runs past some dots marked Three Trees. And off on one side is a little drawing of a shovel with a broken handle. And it ends at another spot marked uh, Camp. It's probably a trail. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Uh, well, a camp is beside a line that looks like the edge of a ridge or a cliff. And, and there's some writing that says, If no answer... Go down. Hmm. If no answer, go down. What else? Well, about a third of the way to the left from the camp, there's an X marked, and it says, Man lives here. Up toward the top, there's another X. That's marked uh, Thunder Peak. And at the very top, there's the word superstition. I guess that's about all. Good. Later, I'll have you take my finger and trace over the whole thing until I know it by heart. But this is enough to start on. To start what on? A search for whatever caused my brother's death. Something rather valuable, if my thinking is correct. All right. Only, uh, how do we go about finding it? Mark told us how. When the man comes, follow him. You know what it means? Not yet. Well, if the map's 60 years old or more, how do you figure this guy's going to be there? Because my brother found him and followed him and then died for it. We're going to follow him, too. You and I and Brian and Daly. We're going to Phoenix. Boss, uh... I think maybe it's a kind of mistake to take Daly along. Why? Well, because he's a double-crosser, that's why. I've been trying to tell you, you can't trust him. Don't worry, I can handle him. He's not the one who has to be watched. Then who is? Bryant? Let's leave it for now. Call the ticket office and get four reservations on the next plane out. I've got the feeling we'd better move fast. By the next afternoon, we checked into the Hotel Westwood Ho in Phoenix and started trying to get a line on Mark Heinemann's recent activities. After two days, we still didn't have much to go on. He'd apparently hooked up with some new partner about six months before and gone into the desert. No one had seen anything of him since. An old man who ran a hardware store where Mark had bought tools and supplies finally gave us the tip-off without knowing it. You see, Mr. Heinemann, your brother was one of the fellows around here who believed in the legend of the lost Dutchman mine. I figure that's what he was really prospecting for. What is the Lost Dutchman mine? Uh, supposed to be a deposit of gold. Richer than any that's ever been found. A real treasure of kings. Treasure of kings? Boss, that's what he said. Quiet, Pascal. Uh, okay, okay. According to the stories, there's supposed to be a map in existence uh, somewhere showing the exact location of the mine drawn by the Dutchman himself. Uh, during the last 50 years or so, a lot of prospectors have gone back into the superstitions, looking for it, but none what of them... What do you mean by superstitions? Uh, superstition mountains, out on the desert east of town. That's where the mine's supposed to be located. Why are they called superstitions? Yes, because so many fellows have gone up into them and never come back. There's supposed to be an Apache curse on anybody goes in there. 
The range used to be sacred to the Indian god of thunder. I see. And why do you think these men never came back? Heat, thirst, got lost, snake bite. Oh, it's awful rough country, and there's no water. Then, too, there, there, there might be a kind of curse on the place at that. The double cross. Meaning? Well, blazing sun and a lust for gold can be a bad combination on a man's nerves. A lot of partners have come back out of those hills alone. Double cross, huh? Yeah. At least that's one curse that isn't limited to the superstitions. You'll find it in a lot of places. Well, we'd better go. Many thanks for your information. Well, not at all, Mr. Heineman. Sorry, I couldn't be more help. So that's what Mark found, a gold mine. A rich one, maybe? It must be. Mark was dying and he knew it, and yet all he talked about was treasure of kings. Gold, in other words. He didn't even tell us who shot him. Maybe his partner did it. Maybe. Pascal. Yeah? I want you to buy a pair of binoculars and rent a car. Uh-huh. We're going to drive out and try to locate that red hill this afternoon. All right, boss. The one thing we've got to watch out for is that curse. That's what happened to Mark. Yeah, it's only an Indian superstition. I'm talking about the double cross. Mark wasn't the first man to die from it, and I don't think he'll be the last. Here, Pascal, let me take your arm. I rented a Nash sedan from the garage at the hotel, and we headed out across a desert east of town. It was late afternoon before we finally found it. The only red hill on the east slope of the superstitions. Mr. Heinemann told me to take the binoculars and try to locate the three trees that were marked on the map. I left the car, worked my way around the far side of the hill and almost to the top before I could see the trees standing close together on the shoulder of the ridge about six miles away, just the way they were shown on Mark Heinemann's map. I stared up at the pale blue peaks in the distance, watched the lightning flashes from near the tops of them and shivered a little. Finally, I turned and started back to the road. Dusk had fallen fast like it does in the desert, and it was nearly dark when I reached the car and opened the door. Mr. Heinemann was slumped over in the seat with blood running from a cut in his forehead. He was unconscious. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first, Ozzie and Harriet are back on CBS, coming to you on most of these same stations every Sunday evening, just before the Jack Benny Show. You'll find them more delightful, more welcome than ever. Ozzie and Harriet's own two boys, Ricky and David, are now playing themselves in the CBS series. So make it a family party with Ozzie and Harriet tomorrow night. And now with our star, Paul Dubov, as Pascal, and with Herb Butterfield as Mr. Heineman, we return to the second act of Escape and... When the Man Comes, Follow Him. (laughs) Boss. Boss, come on, I'll wake up. You're not hurt bad. It's only a little cut in your scalp. Come on, come on, boss. Come on, Pascal. Yeah, 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 it's me. I'm here with you now. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Pascal. Did you see him? No, no, I didn't see anybody. Who was it? What happened? A man. Talked with a Texas straw, wearing heavy boots with hobnails. Uh-huh. Came up on the side of the car next to the hill and poked a gun in my face. He knew who I was and that I was blind. He wanted the map. Did he get it? No. I put it under the floor mat. Good. I heard him coming. Good. Tried to grab his gun. He slugged me. 
Sally going through my pockets. Uh-huh. Ran off in the rocks when he heard you coming. Well, it's dark up there now. No good trying to follow him. Well, never mind. I know who he is. Oh, did he tell you? No, but it fits together. Mark had a partner. This guy? Sure. Who else could he be? Then this is the guy who shot Mark. I think so. I imagine there was a double cross and he got even, but... Wait. No, of course not. What's the matter, boss? Oh, what a fool I've been. What do you mean? I had it figured all along that Mark double-crossed his partner and got shot for it. It was the other way round. Oh. It was Mark's man. And this partner doesn't know the secret of it. Uh-huh. He probably knows where the man lives, but ten to one he doesn't know about following him. Pascal. Yeah, boss? Get the car started and head back for the hotel. We've got to get an outfit together and start up that trail tomorrow morning. There's no time to lose. Let's go. Nine o'clock the next morning, the four of us passed the Red Hill and started up the rocky trail that led toward the far-off heights of Thunder Peak. Brian and Daly each led two mules loaded with food and kegs of water, and I took care of Mr. Heineman. It was already hot, even at that time of morning, and boy, it got hotter. The line drawn on the map followed the crest of a ridge, but there wasn't really any trail. We wound around through tumbled masses of rocks and boulders, climbed over cliffs and gullies, and stumbled across crumbling slopes of debris that slid away beneath our feet and crashed down into the ravine. By noon, we were stopping to rest every ten minutes. Even the rest didn't do no good, because there wasn't any shade. By late afternoon, we'd covered only six miles and we were done in. None of us had known how hot a desert sun could get. We were ready to turn back or fight one another at the least excuse. Come on! Move, you four-legged devil! Can't wait for you, and it is for me. <laughs> What's the matter, Daly? Your tongue's hanging out. Yep. Let it hang. When I get yep. back to Frisco, I never want to see the sun again. That's uh, good for you. Nuts. It'll give you a tan. Get rid of that fish belly San Quentin complexion of yours. How would you like to have a bullet in the stomach, Pascal? Go ahead and draw if you feel lucky. Pascal, Daly, that's enough now. Yeah. Cut it out. Now, Pascal started. I don't care who started. That's enough. We're too close to a million dollars worth of gold to have the whole thing loused up because somebody lost his temper. You said a million dollars? That's right, Brian. According to the story, that's how much the Dutchman is supposed to have dug out of the mine and hidden before he was killed by Apaches without ever getting back to bring it out. A million dollars. Boy, what a man could do with a million dollars. Not a million, Daly. Only five percent. Of a million. That's the amount of your share, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I know. I, I I was just thinking. Hey, look. Right ahead of us. We couldn't see him on account of the ridge. Trees. Three trees. Oh, boy, a little shade of shook. What's wrong? Eyes, Pascal, what is it? The trees, boss. The ones marked on the map. Only they're dead. Been dead for years, they look like. Yeah. There's not a square foot of shade under all three of them. Well... Uh, can't be helped. At least it means we're on the right trail. And it's still the easiest way I know to get a million dollars. Let's push on. Two hours later, we came across a shovel with a broken handle stuck on the top of a pile of rocks, so we knew we were still heading in the right direction. The shovel had been drawn on the map. We stopped there for the night. A while after dark, the boss heard somebody in the rocks, so we put out the fire we'd built and took turns standing guard. And later, when the moon was up, I thought I saw something moving a short way off, but I couldn't be sure. Yeah, it was a creepy feeling, thinking I was being watched, not seeing anybody. All night long, I could see the flares lightening and hear the low thunder from the top of the shadowy peak ahead of us. Was I glad when dawn finally came and we hit that trail again? 
But two hours later, I was wishing for sundown again. It was even hotter than the day before. And on top of it, all of us were so stiff and sore we could hardly move. We cursed and sweated and stumbled through the long, blazing day. Finally, at dusk, we reached the spot marked camp on the map. It was close to the edge of a straight-walled cliff that yawned over a deep box canyon below. There were signs of campfires and burrow tracks. This place had been used before. Yeah, we were too tired to care. Not even bothering to unsaddle the mules, we drank from one of the kegs and dropped down in the shade of a rock ledge. Not able to move any further. After about an hour, the sun slipped behind the ridges to the west and left us in a shadow. The boss got us onto our feet, put Brian to search for something to use for a fire, and told Daly to unpack the mules. He took me with him to scout along the rim of the cliff and try to find out what was meant by the words on the map. If no answer, go down. After half an hour, we found nothing. And we were ready to decide there was no way to go down that thousand-foot rock wall when suddenly... That was a shot. You see anything? No, no. It was back toward camp, but there's a ridge between us. I can't see a sign of any... Come on, Pascal. Yeah, take hold of my arm. Okay. Let's get back there fast. Who is it? Come on, come on. Speak up or I'll shoot. Relax, Brian. It's us. It's Pascal and the boss. Did you see anybody? No. What happened? Ah, somebody took a shot at Daly. He got all spooked up and fired off half a clip. It was that guy that's been following us, boss. I saw a man in the rocks not more than 100 feet away. And you missed him, I suppose. Well, it was dark. Hey, what happened to the mules? They're gone. Yeah, they stampeded when Daly fired off that gun in their ears. That's great. We'll have a fine time packing five kegs of water and all the supplies on our backs. Yeah, well... Boss, we don't have five kegs of water. There's only one here. What? I hadn't unpacked the mules yet, boss. I, I, I was going as soon as it got a little cooler. You fool, you stupid, lazy, blundering fool. That's what I've been telling you, boss. All the brains this dope's got... You shut up, Pascal. One more crack. It's a help me out. Daily, I could kill you and love it. I could stand here and pump bullets into you and love it. Do you know how long a man can live up here without water? 24 hours at the most. But we still got five gallons of water. I didn't know they were going to run off. How could oh, I... shut up. It's done. That's that. Go see if there's any chance of finding him. And try to keep from getting yourself shot. I go with him, Brian. Okay, boss. Come on, smart boy. If you don't shut find up. him in 20 minutes, come on back. Five gallons of water for four men. It'll take us a full day to get down into that canyon and find the spot where the man lives. Another day to get back here, if we're lucky. And two more days back to the road. I guess we can just barely make it. There's only one thing, boss. There's no way to get down into that canyon. I think I've got the answer there. At least that's one thing that shooting did. Listen. Hello! Hello! Sure. It's an echo. If no answer, go down. Yeah. I think we'll find a spot someplace along the rim of that cliff where there's no echo. When we do, I think there'll be some way to get down to the bottom. We'll try it in the morning. And uh, one other thing, Pascal, before they come back. Yeah, boss? From here on, keep an eye on Bryant. I think that gold is beginning to look pretty big to him. I, I think maybe you're making a mistake. I think Daly's a lot more to, likely to try something. He's a born double-crosser. No. This... 
He's a fool and a coward. But Brian's the one who's dangerous. You do as I tell you. And watch out for him. Do you understand? All right. Sure, boss. Whatever you say. An hour after dawn the next morning, we found a spot on the edge of the cliffs where there was no echo. Slanting downward from it was a narrow, steep crack in the wall. The four of us took turns packing our one last keg of water and inched our way down toward the canyon floor a thousand feet below. We made it finally, rested, then struck out to the west following the map. Great chunks of rock lay tossed about it, though giants had played there, and thorn and cactus grew everywhere among them. The sunlight curled and blistered on the surface of the boulders, and always from above us and nearer now came the sullen and ominous roll of thunder. At noon, we stumbled across the bed of the ravine, nearly missing it from being half-blinded by the heat. And three hours later, we found the place where the man lives. It was marked by a monument built of broken rocks stacked up higher than our heads. Mr. Heinemann felt all over the surface of it with his hands and then told us he knew the meaning of the words, When the man comes, follow him. But he said it wasn't time yet, we'd have to wait. We sat there by the pile of stones, not talking much. Just waiting. Two hours passed. I think it was Daly who noticed it first. Look. Look there on the ground. There's somebody here. He, he's behind us. Hit the dirt! I don't... I'm not seeing it. Eh, uh, so that's it. Boys, I'm a little disappointed in you. Scared by a shadow. Oh, well, Look well, at it. It's a shadow of that pile of rocks. Looks just like a man with a hat on holding a gun. Yeah. The rock pile don't look like a man, but the shadow does. Well, since he's apparently come now, I guess we'd better follow him. Huh? How do you mean follow him? The sun's going down. The shadow must be getting longer, stretching out over the ground. So get going. Follow the direction it's pointing. All yeah. Right, Pascal will stay here with me and keep you on line. Right, Watch for was. signs of something buried. Rocks laid over to clear space, something of that kind. Okay. We're not more than a few feet from a million dollars. Let's get it. Two of them worked their way along through the rocks while I stood by the monument and waved them toward one side or the other. Part of the time, they were out of sight behind a ledge of boulder. An army could have hidden in that broken mess and never been noticed. I kept describing everything that was happening to the boss. And about 20 minutes went by before I heard Daly shout, We found it! Gold! It's here! We found it! He scrambled over a ledge and came running toward us, calling out and holding something in his hand. Then about 100 feet away from us, he stopped suddenly and drew his gun. Pascal, what is it? What's happening? Daly's pulled a gun on his boss. Drop it, Daly! Drop it or I'll shoot! No, Pascal! He's in between us, you fool! He's hiding in the rocks! All right, Daly, you asked for Pascal, it. Pascal, no! I got him, boss! The dirty double-crosser! You fool! He was going to kill us, boss. He was coming at us with a... Wait. Wait, somebody staggered out of the rocks there and fell. Somebody I never saw before. My brother's partner, the man who's been following us. But then Daly killed him, and I killed Daly. Boss, I thought Daly was shooting at us. I, I didn't know there was anybody else there. Well, you know now. I told you to keep an eye on Bryant. What's happened to him? Pascal, where's Bryant? Right behind you, sucker. Look out, boss! How's he shooting Bryant? I got him, boss. He missed me, and I got him. Good. Only he didn't miss me. Boss! No, 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 boss. Pascal, can you hear the thunder? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's real loud. That's funny. Same old curse. Double cross. My fault, boss. I should have done like you told me and watched Bryant. A million dollars in gold for somebody else. Don't talk like that. It's for us. For us, for you and me. I'll get you out, boss. You're not really hit bad, you know? Bad. I'm dying. And you too, Pascal. What? You're going to die too. What? What do you mean? The water keg. Brian's bullet smashed it. I heard the water running out. No, no, no. Am I right? Yeah. It's all gone. It's three days out to the highway, Pascal. You don't 
have any water. You poor devil. You don't have one single drop of water. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today, we have presented Transcribed, When the Man Comes, Follow Him, by Ralph Bates. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Pascal was Paul Dubov, with Herb Butterfield as Mr. Heineman. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Jeff Corey, Barney Phillips, and Junius Matthews. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, you are standing on the rolling deck of a pirate junk in the China Seas. And facing you is the sinister figure of the most feared man in the Orient. A general who has just doomed you to death. Next week, we escape with an unusual story, The General Died at Dawn by Charles Booth. Be sure to tune in at the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape! Stay tuned for Challenge of the Yukon next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Challenge of the Yukon! It's King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the North Country, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King! On you husky! Gold. Gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the greedy race for riches. Now back to the days of the gold rush when Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog, King, battled through storm and snow to preserve law and order as they met the challenge of the Yukon. At the trading post in Selkirk, Pete Carruthers sat in a corner trying on mucklucks while Francois, the proprietor, carried on his usual patter of local gossip. So now we get bank here in Selkirk, you say. <laughs> That'd be a good thing, bank. Many bad men come to North not for prospecting in ground, but in people's pockets. Oh, Francois, you're always suspecting the worst in people. Most of them are pretty honest, I find. Oh, you, Pete, you trust everyone. Never have I seen such man as you. You have good heart, but you are bad businessman. Maybe it's because I haven't too much to lose. I can't complain, though. My claim is paying off, and I have quite a bit saved. You give away more than you save. Yeah. How do you like them boots? These fit all right. I'll put the other one on. Hello, Francois. Oh, hello, Pete. Hi there, Jake. Hello, Jake. You want something? Well, I need some flour and tobacco. Uh... I hate to ask you, Francois, but I need a little more credit. Jake, me, I am generous man, I think. Yeah. But three times now, I give you credit when long time ago I should stop. This time, I must say no. Well, Francois, I'll pay you as soon as I get some money. What's wrong, Jake? You broke? Oh, I had some tough luck. Give him what he wants, Francois. Put it on my account. But Pete... Gee, is... thanks, Pete. You're sure a good fella. That's all right, Jake. Well, all right. I get it for you. 
Say, I just saw Red Davis and Lucky Darrell in the cafe before I come in here. They said they were going over to your house to see you. Say, I'm glad you reminded me of that. Said they'd be over today, and I clean forgot about it. Yeah, here you are, Jake. Uh, well, thanks, Francois. Don't thank me. If I had to say so, you would not get this flour and tobacco. Never mind, Francois. Jake will pay me back. You're darn tootin', I will. Well, so long, Jake. You should not give your money to Jake. He is no good. Well, maybe he's just having a little hard luck. Never have I seen such a man as you. How many men have you grubbed, Jake? <laughs> not too many. But you never can tell. If they had paid her, half of it will be mine. But some of them you hardly know. They have to file their claims here, don't they? When I have papers to show I grubstaking, I'm entitled to get half. Well, maybe I am wrong. Maybe the world, she need more men like you. You are a trusting man, but I would not say a wise one. <laughs> I'll take these mucklucks, Francois. I guess I'd better wear them. I'm in a hurry. I have to get back to my cabin to meet Red Davis and Lucky Darrell. Oh, hello, Pete. Hello, Pete. Hi there, Red and Lucky. We're waiting for you. Come on in. Uh, we wanted to talk to you about grubstaking, Mr. Pete. Oh, well, that's it. You wouldn't be taking much of a chance this time, Pete. I got a good tip from this friend of mine who just made a big strike. There's plenty of gold up there where he is. And if we can get enough supplies together, we'll have a fortune in no time. Oh, good. Oh, I'm sorry Jane and my young son aren't here. I'd like to have you meet him. Make yourself at home, boy. Thanks. Nice cabin you have here. Uh-huh. Jane would like it better if we were a little closer to town. You uh, said you had a son, too, didn't you? Yeah. Jimmy's nine years old. Now, how much do you boys figure you'll need? Well, uh, you've grubstaked people before, haven't you? Yeah. Let's see. Well, well, I can give you exact figures if you want to see them. Keep all my papers here in this tin box. Blank forms here. Here we are. I can't let you have as much as I gave Slim Jackson. My savings are getting low. But I feel this is a good investment. How about 300 That ought to be enough. Yeah, yeah, we could make it on that, I think. All right, boys. I'm going to take a chance on you. Hey, yeah. There's $300 in gold. Now, you sign this paper. That's oh, sure. I fill in the money here, don't I? That's right. I guess we really ought to have a witness, but I trust you, boys. Yeah. Now you sign it, Lucky. Oh, sure. There you are. Maybe we'll all be rich someday. Well, come on, Lucky. Thanks a lot, Pete. We'll be seeing you as soon as we hit pay dirt and come back here to file a claim. Yeah, I guess your wife and son are coming now, Pete. See a boy and a woman coming up the trail. Stay and meet them, why don't you? We'll meet them when we have some good news for them. Come on, Red. Uh, goodbye, Pete. Goodbye. Good luck. Well, he did. If that claim is as rich as I think it's going to be, he's made a good investment. He's not a very good businessman. Why? What do you mean? He didn't have any witnesses there. Nobody saw us get that money. No, but he's got our signature. If that claim is as rich as you think it's going to be, it might be a good idea to get that paper somewhere. If he couldn't produce a paper, he'd have a hard time proving he grubstaked us. Uh-huh. That tin box wouldn't be hard to open. Well, that's not kind of chicken. 
There'll be plenty of time to decide what to do after we get paid, or if we do. Quiet. Here's his wife and kid. What's he carrying? He looks like a pup. Howdy, ma'am. Hello there. You just came out of our cabin, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. We've been to see your father. I'm going to surprise him. But look what I have. <laughs> well, he's a fine pup. Now, don't you bother these men, Jimmy. They're probably in a hurry. Well, I can't wait till Dad sees Mabel. Uh, he'll like him, all right. I don't see why you want to call that dog Mabel. Oh, I like that name, and Mabel likes it, too. He knows it already. Oh, all right, Jimmy. Then Mabel it is. Here's our house, Mabel. Now, go on in and meet Dad. <laughs> now, Dad, what do you think it is? A cow? Strange-looking animal. Oh, I never saw such big feet. It is an odd-looking pup. Zeke Smith gave it to Jimmy. I guess maybe there's every kind of a dog you could think of mixed up in him. But I think he's beautiful. <laughs> Mabel and I are going to be the best friends in the world. As Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police drove his dog team along the trail bordering the river near Selkirk, he heard a child's voice calling frantically. What's wrong down there? Jimmy, come out of that water. No, I gotta get my dog. My dog's out there. Jimmy, come back here. Now, get up there on shore. But, Sergeant Preston, my dog's out there on that piece of ice. It broke away. I I just gotta get him. I'll get him for you some way. No, get out of this water. Oh, look, he, he slipped. He's in the water and he's going under. He'll get drowned, he's so little. All right, Jimmy. I guess you can get him, boy. Go get him, Jimmy. Stay up here on shore, Jim. King will get him. Your dog won't drown. Mabel's just a pup. I hope King can bring him in. Current's too strong for a pup. A King can handle it. There, see? King got him. Come on, King, old boy. We'll have to run along the shore. Yes. Current's sweeping them down. Poor Mabel. I'm drowned, I'll bet. There. King's bringing him to shore. Good work, old boy. Well, there's your dog, Jim. Still very much alive. Here <laughs> I'll put you inside my party. Come on back to my sled, Jim. I'll get you and these dogs back to your cabin and dry you off. You think you'll get a bad cold, Sergeant? No, we'll dry him off and warm him up, and I'm sure he'll be as good as new. While Jimmy changed his clothes, Sergeant Preston talked to Mrs. Carruthers. Mabel and King dried off before the fire. Just what kind of dog is Mabel? A mixture of about everything, I guess, Sergeant. All I know is that he's more trouble than any dog I ever saw. He chews everything up and takes things out and buries them in the snow. Well, most pups do that. Not quite as much as this one, though. Pete is furious. He had to go down and buy some more mucklucks today. Mabel stole the new one. Or rather, one of them. <laughs> Buried it somewhere, I guess. We can't find it anywhere. Well, can't you train Mabel not to do it? We've tried, but nothing seems to work. He's very quick about it and rather sly. If Jimmy weren't so fond of him, we'd give him away. He's threatening to do it anyway. Oh, oh here's Pete now. Hello, dear. Hello. Oh, Preston, I thought I recognized your team out there. How are you, Pete? Sergeant Preston just saved Mabel from drowning. Oh. Well, I'm afraid I'm not going to thank him for it. That dog is a pest. We've got to get rid of him. Oh, no. If he steals one more thing that belongs to me, I'm going to get rid of it. He'll uh, get over it when he's a little older. Well, I can't wait that long. He's stolen mittens, boots, caps, and everything you could think of. 
I'm reaching the end of my patience. It was a few weeks later. Red Davis and Lucky Darrell were camped a few miles outside of Selkirk. The appearance of the men had changed. Lucky Darrell had grown a thick beard that covered his face like a mask, while Red had shaved his beard off completely. Red was cooking their supper as he talked to Lucky. We'll stay here for a few days till we find out what's happening in town. Now, you better go into Selkirk tomorrow. I'm afraid somebody might recognize me and start asking questions. Nobody will know you with that beard. You didn't have one before. They'll probably recognize me, though, on kind of my red hair. I think we're taking a big chance doing this. We're not taking a chance at all. If we can find out when nobody's going to be at Pete's cabin, we can get into that tin box in two minutes. Red, uh, why don't we give him half the claim? After all, he did grubstake us, and legally it's his. Now, don't start that again. Do you realize if we give him half of it, that means we'll just get a fourth apiece? But it's a rich claim. There'll be enough for all of us. It's too rich to give away if we don't have to. Now, nobody witnessed it when we signed that paper. If we can get our hands on it, we'll deny that Pete ever grubstaked us. And he'll have nothing to prove that he did. But we're going to get that paper. But don't forget we have to file a claim. We'll file it after we get the paper that proves Pete owns half of it. Now, tomorrow morning, you go into town and see what's happening. Maybe they'll be having a party or something that Pete might want to attend. The following morning, Sergeant Preston stopped his dog team before the Carruthers' cabin. Young Jimmy was out in front playing with his pup. Hooking! Hello, Sergeant Preston. Quiet, Mabel. Don't you recognize King? How are you, Jimmy? Thought I'd stop and see how you are after you dip in the river. And uh, how's Mabel? Oh, we're both fine. It didn't hurt Mabel a bit. Look at him. I think he knows King is trying to show off in front of him. Mabel's trying to impress King, all right. Wants to play with him. Oh, uh, you're going to the big show in town tonight? Sure. Pop and Mama taking me. I never saw a magician before. They say he takes things out of hats and makes things disappear and everything. I guess just about everyone in town will be there. Quite a treat for the people to have some entertainment. Jimmy! Jimmy! Oh, hello, Preston. Hello, Pete. Something wrong? What's wrong, Pop? It's your dog again. I can't find one of my new mucklucks. He must have buried it somewhere. I, uh, I think this is the first time I ever saw you mad, Pete. I am mad, and this is the last straw. I told you, Jimmy, that if he hid one more thing of mine, that you'd have to get rid of that dog. Oh, Pop, no. I could brain that fool animal. I just bought that pair of boots a few weeks ago. Look at him, leaping around, showing off in front of King. King saved his life, and, and Mabel remembers him. You'd have hung your boots up on a nail or something. I'm through running our house to suit Mabel. Hanging everything up beyond uh, reach. Pete, look. Mabel just dug something out of the snow. Why, look, Pop, it, it looks like your boots. Mabel wants to play tug-of-war with King. <laughs> oh, my new mucklock. Now bring that here, you little scalawag. Jimmy, catch him. Mabel. Come here, Mabel. Give that to me. Mabel's a lively pup, all right. Jimmy's got to get rid of that silly dog. I won't have him around anymore. Oh, Jimmy's pretty fond of him, of course, most dogs do that when they're little. Why don't you give Mabel one more chance? Here you go, Pop. It isn't hurt a bit. Now, you give that dog a good hard whipping. But, but I can't whip him for digging up the boots. It was burying it that was bad, oh. wasn't it, Sergeant? Uh, Jimmy's right, Pete. If Mabel is rewarded for digging up the boots, maybe he'll find some of the other things he's buried. You're a good dog, Mabel. Good old fella. You'd better show him the boot and pet him, Pete. Well, this beats everything. Having to pet him when I want to kick him in the slats. <laughs> well, if I get back some of my mittens and things, 
Come here, Mabel. Good dog. You dug up this boot. I could kick all your teeth in, but you're a very good dog. He's proud of himself. Look at him wiggle. Well, guess I'll run along. See you tonight, please. Jimmy says you're all going to see the magician. Yeah. Maybe I can make a deal with that magician to come out here and make Mabel disappear. Go on, King. Bye. So Bye, Sergeant. Later that night, Red and Lucky walked quietly toward Pete's cabin. A light snow was falling. You sure nobody in town recognized you today? Not a soul. <laughs> this beard makes me look like everybody else who wears one. We'll go back to camp tonight after we get that paper. And tomorrow we'll come into town and pretend we just got here and file the claim. You, uh, sure Pete won't be home tonight? I told you everybody in the place is going to see that magician. There's never any entertainment up here and nobody would miss it. Right, here's Pete's cabin. There's a dim light burning in it. Nobody's home or it'd be brighter. There's just enough light for me to find that little tin box. Think I ought to stay out here and watch? Yeah. yeah this snow is a good piece of luck. It'll cover our tracks. I'll leave the cabin door open. If you hear anyone coming along the trail, whistle. All right, but hurry. There's a lot of people use this trail. Hey, you quiet. Hey, quiet, I said. Hey, quit jumping on me. Friendly little cuss, aren't you? Down, I say. I don't want to play with you. Now go away. Here's the tin box. This light is so dim. Hey, go away, Pop. Go on, go on. Ah, here's the one I'm looking for. Now, put the box back. People never know it's been moved. Now, hey, where's my mitten? You find it, Pierce? Well, I thought you were keeping watch. Nobody's coming. Did you get the paper? Yeah, I got it here somewhere. Now, where in the dickens? What's wrong? I took the paper out of the box and put it in my mitten on the floor beside me. Now the mitten is gone. Gone? Oh, you're crazy. So dark in here. You maybe I kicked it accidentally. It must be here somewhere. See it any place? Couldn't have walked away all by itself. Where? Hey, that pup! I bet he took it. Did you see him? No, but the door was open and he's black. Come on. He must be out here somewhere. There he is in the snow. Come back here, you black mongrel! You're scaring him. He's running. I'll get him. Hey, don't shoot that gun. Somebody'll hear it. Where's that dog? It's so dark. I don't see him anymore. Probably scared him so by shooting at him that he's still running. We'll never find him without a lantern. I don't see why you had to stick that paper in your mitten. It might have blown away if I'd have put it on the floor. I certainly thought the mitten was safe enough. That ornery little cur, I should have brained him. Hey, Red, uh, maybe we can find a lantern in the house and trail him. Hey, listen, that sounds like a dog team coming. we got to get out of here. Maybe we can come back when it's light. It's a cinch Pete won't be able to find the paper anyway. Come on, I'll come back early tomorrow before anyone's out. Maybe I can. About an hour after daybreak the following morning, Red looked up from the campfire at which he was cooking breakfast as Lucky approached. You back already? Did you find the mitten? Snowed last night, you know that. There weren't any tracks. I looked all over. I was there at Pete's cabin before anyone was awake. But it must have been around somewhere. That pup couldn't have eaten it. The snow covered all his tracks. He probably dragged the mitten off into the woods somewhere. You didn't leave any fresh tracks around in the snow yourself, did you? I think I'm crazy, Red. I could see from the trail that all the tracks around the cabin were covered. 
Well, I guess we're safe enough. If we can't find that mitten, I'm sure Pete won't be able to. Especially when he doesn't even know the paper's missing out of his tin box. When he does miss it, he won't go looking for it in a strange mitten that his pup dragged off into the woods. What are you planning to do, Red? We'll do just what we plan to do. Go in and file this claim under our names. If Pete puts up a squawk, we just don't know what he's talking about. We'll wait until noon today and then go in and get a room at the hotel. And pretend we just mushed in from the north. That night in the Silver Slipper Cafe, everyone was helping to celebrate the new strike made by Red and Lucky. As Pete Carruthers walked in the door, he was met by Jake. Hello there, Pete. Hey, I've been lucky tonight. I'm going to pay you back for the money you let me have in Francois' place the other day. Oh, no, Jake. Let it go till tomorrow. Yeah, I better take it now while I got it. All right. There you are. Thanks, Jake. Say, I suppose you heard about the strike that Red and Lucky made. Right. No, I didn't even know they were back. Well, they come back and filed their claim today. They're over at the bar now. There they are. I wonder why they didn't tell me about it. I'd better see them. Set him up again, Barney. Ah, the Pete. Hello, Pete. Come on, name your poison. Yeah, Lick and Red just made a strike. They're going to be rich. Hello, Pete. Hello, boys. Why didn't you tell me the good news? Oh, you didn't happen to be around, that's all. But I should think you'd have found me. After all, half your claim is mine. Half yours? What do you mean? <laughs> What's he talking about? You boys know I grubstaked you. That entitles me to half the claim. Oh, gosh, Pete. You've grubstaked so many people, I guess you just get everything mixed up. But you signed the paper. It's at home. Did you have any witnesses to prove we did this little deal you're dreaming up? Why, you know, I trusted you. You signed that paper. Wait, you got a little mixed up, Pete. You get that paper and maybe we'll remember. <laughs> hey, come on, boys. Let's have another The following morning, Sergeant Preston looked gravely at the tin box opened on the table in Pete's cabin. You'd better tell me everything that happened, Pete. Now, are you sure you had the paper that proved you were grubstake lucky and red? Sure I had it. Right here in this tin box. Mm. You say you had no witnesses here when you signed the paper? No, I didn't. It was red and lucky were here. Well, there isn't anything you can do about it legally without that paper. Did Red and Lucky know where you kept it? Sure they did. They saw me put it away. Oh, I'm afraid you're too trusting, Pete. You mean you think they stole it? It's possible, but there isn't any way we can prove it. They didn't get into town until yesterday. Hmm, that's how it looks. Well, come on, let's go outside. They may have left some tracks around. Doubt it, though, after that snow last night. Here, Mabel, Mabel, Mabel. Jimmy, there's no use looking for that pup anymore. Has Mabel disappeared? Yes, thank goodness. He wasn't in the house when we got back from the show the other night. Yes, somebody picked him up. Good riddance, I say. Sergeant Preston, you haven't seen anything of Mabel, have you? Why, no, I haven't, Jimmy. He's been gone since night before last. Jimmy, stop bothering the sergeant. He's got more important things to look for than that fool animal. Oh, but King could find him. He knows Mabel's name, don't you, King? I'll help you look for Mabel later, Jimmy. Right now, we're looking for some strange tracks. You better circle the cabin, Pete. Could I borrow King while you're looking? Or, or do you need him? Why, I don't need King right now. He doesn't know what I'm looking for. Go with Jimmy, King. Will you tell him to find Mabel, Sergeant? Find Mabel, boy. Where's Mabel? Come on, King. Find Mabel. We'll circle the cabin, too. Well, Pete, I guess there's no use. 
Nothing to show that anybody's been near your place. Yes, you're right, Sergeant. That's what I get for trusting too many people. Maybe you put that paper someplace else. You sure it was in that tin box? Dad, Sergeant Preston, come here. What ails that fool kid? What's wrong, Jimmy? Oh, come on, Pete. Maybe the pup was caught in a trap. Come on, son. I was hoping he'd never find that fool dog. Harry, he must have heard Mabel or smelled him or something. Mabel's down in a big hole. Too deep for me. I can't get him. Mabel's still alive? Yes, but he's pretty weak. He can't seem to make much noise. How could he fall down a hole? Here he is. Well, poor little fella. Here, Jimmy, take my hand. I'll lower you down into the hole and pull you and Mabel up. Uh, easy now. Don't worry, Mabel. I'm coming. Just like that fool dog, not to look where he's going. Come on, boy. Say, Dad, here's one of your mittens. Down here beside me. I suppose. He was running away with it, I'll bet. Hand it up here, Jimmy. There you are, please. Well, maybe you'll be glad we found Mabel. You'll have another pair of mittens. Uh, All right, Jim, take my hand. I'll pull you up. There you are. Wouldn't you know it. That dog has stolen at least a half dozen of my mittens. And the one I find with him. Isn't even mine. Mabel isn't hurt or anything. He'll be all right, Jim. Oh, well, this mitten fits me up. Hey, what's this? It's a paper. It was inside the mitten. Well, for the love... Well, what is it, Pete? It's the grub steak paper. What? Well, how Did some... Mabel do something awful bad, Dad? Not this time, Jim. We don't know yet how Mabel did it, but it looks as though he helped your dad find a fortune. But... That dog couldn't get in the tin box? No, but he was probably standing beside the man who did. Well, can you beat that? Uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, you better take Mabel right home and feed him and take care of him. I'll wrap him in a blanket and give him part of that venison in the storehouse (laughs) and some hot canned milk. What? Oh, sure, sure, Dad. Gee, thanks, Sergeant, for lending me king. I never could have found Mabel without him. That's all right, Jimmy. Give me that mitten, please. King and I are going to town to find the owner of it. Come on, King. The desk clerk at the Northern Hotel smiled as Sergeant Preston and his big dog, King, approached him in the lobby. Hello, Sergeant. Hi. Fine, Bill. I'd like some information. Anything you want, Sergeant. Are Red Davis and Lucky Darrell registered here? Yes, they're here. They're in room uh, 22. Uh-huh. Ain't in now, though. Saw me about an hour ago. <laughs> they're celebrating a big strike they made. Would you mind letting me have a look at their room? Well, I've got the key right here. Sure. Now, come on, I'll take you back. Thanks, Bill. Anything wrong, Sergeant? I don't know yet, but I think we'll soon find out. Well, it's a little irregular letting anyone in their room like this, but <laughs> Mounties are different. It won't take long. I'm trying to find the mate to uh, this mitten. Yeah, here's the room. Come in with me, Bill. If I find that mitten, I'd like you to be a witness. Sure, I'd be glad to. Come on, King. Well... You don't have to look far. Isn't this it here on the bed? Uh, it looks like the mate, all right. Of course, there are hundreds of mittens like this up here. It's a regular kind you get the trading post. Francois has hundreds of them. I have another way of checking whether the mitten I have belongs to the same man that one does. You keep that mitten, Bill. You and I are going to wait in the lobby till Lucky and Red get back. <laughs> Now, Sergeant, going back to the room. I don't want him to think I'm interested. Keep talking to me when I cross the lobby. Started down the hall. What are you going to do? I'm going to break in the center of this mitten that we found in Pete's cabin and join the search. If the mitten belongs to Lucky or Red, 
came up, picked up the scent right here in the lobby. Scud and Thrash in the camp missing. But he follows him. Give you a double check. They've gone down the hall. Okay, King. The smitten. Find him, fella. Come on, King. I'll lead you past the door. Does he know what you want him to do? Yes, he knows. This took a lot of training. Search boy. Find him. He's picked up the scent. He's following Red and Lucky. Come on, this is all I needed. Oh, uh, you got that mitten we found in their room? Yep, I've got it. The king is standing right at their door. Who is it? It's Sergeant Preston, Red. Open this door. Hello, Sergeant. Hi, Bill. What's wrong? Good work, King. What's the matter? What's wrong with that door? He's trying to find the owner of this mitten. He seems to think it's yours, Red. Why, why, no, that's not mine. I never saw it before. King knows it's yours. And I searched your room before you came in and found his mate. Show it to him, Bill. Here it is. Red, it's King still lucky. This is a frame-up. You can't prove you found that in my room? Oh, yes, I can. Bill came in with me, and he can witness it. Yep. We found it about an hour ago. You're both under arrest for breaking into Pete's cabin and attempted fraud. But, but how did you find that mitten? Well, a mongrel pup named Mabel found it. But uh, you'll find out about that later. I'm taking you two to jail. When you're safely locked up, King and I are going to take Mabel a bone for saving us a lot of hard work. Yes, thanks to King and Mabel, this case is closed. Challenge of the Yukon, a copyrighted feature, is brought to you each week at this time, and all characters, names, and incidents used are fictitious. Listen again next week to another exciting adventure during the days of the gold rush. L. Prow speaking. This program came to you from Detroit. Have you ever wanted to witness a murder trial? Well, for the same atmosphere and effect, listen to Famous Jury Trials when it's on the air every Saturday night over most of these ABC stations. You'll hear tense courtroom scenes, cross-examination of witnesses, dramatic testimonies, the judges charged to the jury as the case moves quickly to an exciting and often surprising climax. To aid the actors feel their roles and to bring an air of authenticity to scenes viewed by the studio audience, famous jury trials is enacted in costume and scenery, and the full atmosphere of the courtroom is conveyed by gasps of amazement, the mutterings of anger, and other emotional outbursts on the part of the trial spectators. To heighten the dramatic effect of the show, the action leading up to the crime is reenacted. Be sure to be a member of the listening jury when Famous Jury Trials is broadcast tonight over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support and Moses Neimer, executive producer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.